0: Hello, my name's Ben Wheeler and this is Syndrome, the new podcast I am recording in a Suva lockdown in which I talk to my friends about their favourite movies and their memories of going to the cinema um, in order to get to know them a little bit better and in order to uh, learn about some new movies and recommend possibly some some films that you, the listeners, might want to watch as well. Um, Today I am joined by my friend Sutapa Haoleida. Hi Sutapa.
1: Hi Ben, thanks so much for having me with you
0: Thanks for being here Uh, again. uh, (laughs) (laughs) We are, this is, uh, with our cards on the table, this is now the third time we have tried to record this. Uh, (laughs) Slight technological issues. We won't go into great details. Uh, But how how are you feeling about this time? Positive going in?
1: I'm feeling very good, Ben. Um, While we tried to recapture that magic of the first kiss you know that second time. I think this time we just lay it all the line, all on the line, and see how we go.
0: <laughs> right. I guess you know if we if we're following the the, the narrative lo- logic of the um, of the trilogy here, then this is then this is the third part of the trilogy. All bets are off. Everything goes kind of crazy. You know we, we've had the we've had the setup of part one. We've had the kind of dark, strange turn of part two. Now it's kind of great big explosions of craziness but finally resolution you know third act styly. so uh, absolutely. yeah absolutely
1: <laughs> all I bets think, are off
0: yes yes that's, that's a quote from scream right <laughs> nice okay so let's get into it can you can you start us off uh with just a, a few a few sentences describing who you are and what you do because we know we know that that's going to be something important we'll touch on later
1: sure then uh, so a little bit of what I do is most of my life I've worked uh, in different countries being a humanitarian worker for uh, the better part of 12 to 13 years of my life and uh, this definitely appears in the podcast later in terms of choice of movies and places and some of the places that I've lived and worked has been in Sierra Leone during Ebola or in Nigeria during Boko Haram, typhoons in the Philippines, that sort of thing. So definitely that's a bit more of my background. And the other part of it is that um, I also like to write. So I'm about halfway through a novel at the moment that progressing a little bit more now with these lockdowns. So, yeah, that's, that's a little bit about my background and it might come out through some of our conversations
0: fantastic stuff yes yes i think the idea of of globe trotting adventure and excitement with an undercurrent of uh empathy and care and trying to put Right, what once went wrong i'm now just quoting quantum leap this is getting particularly strange um (laughs) um, but yeah i think that definitely comes up in some of your film choices so i i think that's a nice little index at, at the beginning of of the the discussion thank you very much uh let's move swiftly on to talk about um what you like about films that's my first question always to people why film
1: So for me, Ben, um, as I've definitely told you before, and uh, we love having conversations about film or book, uh, I think for me movies came about because I was such a nerd and I loved to read so much. So from a very early age, everything that I could get my hands on, I read. Um, whether it was, um, like anything from, uh, encyclopedias through to really, really large, um, science fiction, fantasy fiction novels at the age of 11 that probably I shouldn't have been reading until I was 20, that sort of thing. (laughs) Um, and then that moved into (laughs) my love of movies, um, And the reason that I love movies is very much similar and at the core of why I love books. And that's because if I think anything has the possibility or impact to change and move people and to give them a different perspective or a different take on life, um, put themselves in the shoes of someone else and really expand and uh, change their their worlds and their minds. I think it's definitely movies because it's that storytelling aspect, I think that can resonate and really touch someone and change the way they feel about something and hence change the way they think about something. So.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always said that, um, stories, well, I've always understood that stories and storytelling and narratives are how we kind of make sense of the world. It's both, listening to stories uh, helps us create make sense of the world and then telling stories ourselves I think is a very important part of finding our place in the world Um, and and yeah and I love books as well I was like a really voracious reader when I was a kid um, and I loved that idea of uh, relying entirely on on your imagination to build those worlds, you know the 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 language and the prose that created that that helps to create those words. But really, it's a huge part of you that's going into it. But I think I fell in love with movies at a very early age as well because of the. Uh, the idea of the world building that goes on there the huge what I would learn later is a huge collaborative effort by many 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 different people on a film production to create those worlds that, that are just can be absolutely breathtaking when they're done correctly um, so whatever, if you had to choose film or book with one had to go what would happen there
1: Oh, this is when it becomes really difficult when you give me these sort of ultimatums, Ben, uh, because I would say uh, part of me sometimes definitely will choose book uh, because it's my first love, I guess, and there's nothing quite like, you know, that that rips you into like your first love, (laughs) I think. (laughs) Um, And and there's this certain part of me, um, I think, that, I mean, it depends on the film and the book, um, but I think there's also this certain part of me that thinks you can get a little bit more of the backstory, a little bit more of um, things that you might miss in the film that you can get from books. And so I think that's why often it's the book that comes first and so it feels like the original truth, I guess. Um, so you want to read it first, but that's not to say that some movies don't absolutely do a great job um, of actually bringing those books to life uh, really well. One example um, that I was saying is in terms of The Handmaid's Tale, it's one of my absolute, absolute favourite books to the point where from when I was 15 to now at the ripe old age of 41, I have had been reading it pretty much once a year every year. I wow. uh, absolutely love that book um, by Margaret Atwood. And then, of course, now it's become um, a TV series. And I was very reluctant and absolutely um, kind of refused to watch the TV series at all originally because I was very worried that it would ruin what was to me a classic book, um, amazing, you know, post apocalyptic uh, take on how the world deals with. certain issues and particularly actually very um, poignant issues of the day taken just that little bit extra further Black Mirror style to see uh, what could happen. But then um, actually I was proven wrong Um, when I finally did get to watch Handmaid's Tale. I thought despite it being quite different from the books in a number of ways, the first season at least, I did stop watching after that, But the first season, at least, was very true um, to the first, to the novel um, of The Handmaid's Tale. And everything that they actually added was still within the scope and the feeling. And it had a certain level of authenticity. So everything that was added was still, you know, in the essence of the book or uh, in it still felt true um, to its form and didn't betray it in any way. I felt so. How about you, book or book or <laughs> film, Ben?
0: <laughs> uh, well, it's difficult. I think I would def- I think I would choose films. I consume far more films than I do books at the moment. But it's interesting the, the way you put it. I think that, that often, often in the past, the book has felt like the more full and the more comprehensive experience. Mm. Um. Uh however, with things like the Handmaid's Tale now, with with serialized TV picking up books, I think there kinda of, there can be a danger to, of going the other way where where the TV mm. series feel a bit like over like stretched and like they're they're sticking bits of filler in sometimes, you know. They have they have the time to do justice to the book, but then they get like a little bit greedy and they're putting extra things in and <laughs> so yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that process of adaptation I, I, I think I think I have to choose films man I just have to I will miss books uh, in this hypothetical uh, <laughs> situation but <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a film guy through and through um, let's, <laughs> let's move on uh, and talk about some of your earliest memories of, of film and films and, and going to the cinema what, what have you got for us there?
1: So, uh, first memories of going to the cinema. Um, one big memory is uh, definitely my first ever trip to the movies or the cinema in Melbourne, where my mum took me to watch *Bambi*, um, which is an animation film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wait to see Ben's reaction on that we'll one. Come back um, to that. <clears throat> But this was a beautiful, um, beautiful uh, movie for me at the ripe old age of five years old. Um, It was just amazing to watch the whole thing and being completely immersed in this really large screen in this new world. I remember being very, very distraught and heartbroken when Bambi's um, mother passed away and was killed by the hunter, the feeling of injustice and Um, already feeling like something needed to change and actually now reflecting on that that film and other Disney films uh, back then were actually quite mature um, when you think about it in terms of some of the themes of death and love and um, parents and children that it actually they do explore Um, Lion King I guess is another one um, like that um, but of, of course Bambi didn't have necessarily all of that music <laughs> and so that was one but of course true to form um, straight afterwards mum had told me that there was the Bambi the book and all I wanted to do straight after I watched um, the, the movie uh, was to absolutely go and read the book just to compare and make sure I hadn't missed anything, you know. <laughs> so um, true, true book lover that I am. So that was my first memory. And my first memory with my dad was actually him taking me to watch um, a movie called Batteries Not Included. Oh,
0: um, I remember it well.
1: You do. You've seen it as well. It's, 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 it's like little robots um, that... Uh, basically help put together, it's, it's what I think is a housing commission um, space or flat that's being torn down to build something larger and a bigger complex, um, but uh, this really interesting uh, troupe of uh tenants that live in this space uh assisted by these little uh robots robot aliens to help rebuild um when things things are looking pretty grim um in the neck of the woods so again another beautiful memory and another beautiful film i think
0: and i think one that we can tie in to uh to some of the central themes of your your selections as well later on in life we, we might have to revisit that my overriding now that you're you're yeah. mentioning this is kind of a new one uh, I like it which is good we're keeping it a little fresh um but um, <laughs> yeah I'm remembering that movie it's really it's really nice it's got some 80s like stalwarts like I think Jessica Tandy and Steve Gutenberg and people like that in it <laughs> um I
1: love that you know all the names <laughs>
0: I think I think Steve Gutenberg's in it. he's in just about everything else in the eighties um um yeah. but yeah yeah it's a yeah it's a great movie. I love it man um so and Bambi as well a a fantastic selection It's an interesting discussion to be had, i think between whether whether Disney is being grown up or emotionally manipulative in including some of those. <laughs> narrative threads it's it's an old trope isn't it that they fall back on the dead parent um but I but you know I as much as I try to be critical I do love Disney films by and large um Mm. so yeah that that that's another interesting choice you kind of glided over the the idea of animated films this time so there's not really that much (laughs) for me to respond to however in in the previous recording you, ha- you, you gave like a caveat or something you implied that the animated movies were not proper films uh, so I had to jump in but you know, you 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 decided to to yeah just just pass that one by and now I've brought it up but but there you go <laughs> It's a discussion We've got for we to on a time. few
1: little things. Absolutely, exactly, absolutely. exactly.
0: <laughs> there's, there's a lot that we're going to agree on, man. Um, so there were, <laughs> there were some other kind of memories that you had, especially um, of, of movies that you loved loved as a kid that you tried to revisit in an academic sense. <laughs> I, I want That's to hear right. about that again.
1: I always, always forget to mention this one. Um, yes, my Indiana Jones, my absolute love of Indiana Jones absolutely loved temple of doom and the last crusade they were two of my favorites i loved all of them i loved all of the indie films but i think those were two of my favorites i loved sorry skull, i loved really? all of the early early indie films i would say <laughs> yes there, there was there was a few there was certainly at least one at the end there i'd like when i don't like movies i I pretend they don't exist yeah i pretend they don't exist exactly (laughs) we're on the same page ben we're back so no i absolutely love temple of doom and the last crusade and temple of doom in particular um such great uh evocative uh scenes of adventure and you know um with with Indiana Jones and uh, discovering these new, these lost worlds and being in danger and um, bringing these amazing, you know, stories to life. Uh, I loved it because of course, um, as anyone who watches these films probably does, everyone wants to be Indiana Jones, especially when, you know, Harry brings Indy to life so well. Um, I wanted the hat. I wanted the whip. Um, I wanted to teach and then I wanted to run around the world and you know <laughs> find like dig up things <laughs> it was it was definitely my fantasy um, I love that child childlike child
0: simplistic uh, kind of yeah. articulation of, of what it's like to be <laughs> I want <laughs> I want to have the hat and the whip and teach and then go and dig things up
1: absolutely um, it was just felt pretty awesome to me Um, and then of course um, I love the allusion to then what happened is I because I love these movies so much when I was in a gender studies class um, where we were looking at both I had the option of looking at both film and books uh, and to revisit um, some of the things that we loved about um, film's um, that were nostalgic to us and revisit them and look at an agenda anal- analysis um, and an analysis around um, the other I was then asked to revisit Indiana Jones with particularly the temple of doom with that in mind and of course you know sitting in a tutorial when you're 18 19 years old with a bunch of other first First year uni film students, it's not the most fun thing when they're ripping apart <laughs> your favourite film and you're, you know, re- reluctantly, absolutely having to agree with them when you see that. Um, actually, in terms of representation, um, looking South Asian, looking Indian, uh, despite not being Indian, um, and then uh, and then seeing that film. There was there's a there's a scene where Indiana visits a little village and saves this little village, uh, including a little scene with him and this um, small Indian girl that's uh, you know obviously had a hard life and it's been difficult and Indy's like found them water and food or something. Um, revisiting that and realizing that actually um, I look. Far more represented by this little Indian girl than Indiana Jones, who I wanted to be, um, was quite uh, you know dispara- disparaging a little bit of the film when I rewatched it. Um, so I was a little bit disheartened um, by that, with the beautiful, warm, fuzzy memory that I had of these three, three, four movies um, when I was really, really young. Ripped to shreds by first year uni students.
0: <laughs> yeah, they can they can be they can be a mean bunch, uni students, man. Uh, and, and it's a shame. It's a shame to to tear some such a treasured memory to shreds like that. I think we can we can look at it like a number of different ways. I'm not going to sit here and try and defend the Indiana Jones franchise for its representation of of either gender or you know, in terms of race or, race or ethnicity, the other, because it's that's a, that's too hard a task. Um, but I think there are some positive things we can say about it. I think we, you know, we talked before about how it's, it's nostalgic anyway. It, we're looking back at these movies that were made in the 80s, and to a large extent, we didn't know much better in the 80s, but these films themselves are harking back to Adventure Tales of the 50s. So we're going right back in time. Um, that i think needs to be understood we can give him a tiny bit of leeway in respect of that i kind of i keep thinking now about about that james baldwin thing as well james baldwin said when he was a, a kid in america he would watch the the old westerns like the lone ranger mm-hmm. and he would identify mm-hmm. with the lone ranger then he would realize eventually that he was you know uh, he was the, uh, the 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 indians or the native americans and he was he was more as a as an African American, he was more uh, should have identified. He should have realised that he is kind of the other or the enemy <laughs> in those situations. But I think the last thing I wanted to say it's, is that mm. Indy did provide you with a kind of aspirational uh, figure who you have to some extent lived up to. You said when you wanted to be a kid, when you were a kid, you wanted to be Indiana Jones. I put it to you that in some ways you are Indiana Jones these days.
1: Oh, I love that, that Ben. I, I I feel like absolutely. And you can be whoever you want to. And the beauty, and I think absolutely in previous uh, conversations, you've convinced me and I am convinced to re-watch those movies, hold them dearly to my heart, um, not, too, not analyze them too harshly, and recognize <laughs> them for what they are. Brilliant, brilliant adventure films um, that actually entice people to step outside, Um, their little boxes, and to learn more and explore more and adventure more. And I think that's what's so beautiful about them. And uh, absolutely, uh, in terms of context, sure, everything, uh, if you look back on it, can age poorly, but it's, it's all about the journey of where we've come from, I think. So, yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Love Indy. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, one of the issues, I guess, is that, that your favourite film f- from that, of that great original trilogy is is the most problematic one, Temple of Doom, where they go to exotic, <laughs> exactly troubled, poverty-stricken, spiritual India and try and eat monkey brains. You know, if you'd have gone for Raiders of the Lost Ark or The Last Crusade, you're safe because it's Nazis. Nazis, Nazis, Nazis. And, you know, that's fine. <laughs>
1: It's too true. Yeah, I had to. I had to pick the one that didn't didn't um, have the Nazis in it necessarily.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Cool. So we have done your childhood memories uh, of of film and film going. Uh, I think we'll move on now to kind of something I really like to talk about because I think it's one of the most evocative parts of, of film and the film experience, and that's music, your favourite soundtracks or original scores. What would that be?
1: Uh, for me, Ben, this was probably the easiest choice out of everything, all of the questions that you asked me around picking my favourite films, because I cannot go past ever since I heard it, the Drive soundtrack. I loved the movie, loved the soundtrack. The soundtrack has been on repeat, was on repeat for me, I think, for weeks after I watched the film. I immediately went to Spotify, downloaded the Drive soundtrack. Um, and anyone <laughs> that is good friends with me know I have absolutely hounded them to um, to listen to Kavinsky, to download Kavinsky um, and the rest of the Drive soundtrack. It's, beautiful in the background of what is a gorgeous and dark movie I think so do you agree
0: <laughs> I think you know that I do <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, go- I'm gonna tell you about it again anyway Yay. so yes absolutely a hundred percent this is this this is it, it has to be one of my top one of my top soundtracks of all time um, it's absolutely beautiful pulsating synthy kind of retro 80s beats which takes takes me back to my, to my youth um, and I just yeah I, I can't get enough of it the opening scenes in particular so you've got the very meticulous heist that introduces um, Ryan Gosling's character the driver um, the Kid or whatever. I, does he have a name in that film? I forget. Actually,
1: I actually don't remember the name um, of the Kid either in the I film. I think
0: he's just called The Driver. Yeah. yeah and and, and yeah. um, Brian Cranston calls him Kid, kid. all the way That's, through. Right. That's um, right. Anywho, yeah. So there, there's that beautiful kind of chromatics tick of the clock uh, playing, bubbling away in the background while he does that heist. And then boom, Kavinsky, as you mentioned, just it's a blistering song. It like melts your face. And the, it, there's the, the hugely evocative visuals, the camera panning over the city, the cityscape at night. You know, I can still, I can picture it. I can Im- imagine it right in my head now, every fraction, every detail. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I love it. Very you, evocative. You know Great what? Choice.
1: Here's a, here's a new tidbit for our third recording. Um, I know, <laughs> I know if I've pr- properly, properly, got a crush on someone if I'm listening to night call and thinking of them <laughs> so hey, you know no. you know it's not a real proper proper heartfelt crush until you're listening to night night call on repeat and thinking yeah baby I want to give them a night call <laughs> <laughs>
0: awesome so yeah in comes the image the the face that face or maybe not the face comes into your head and then you're like oh so that's my my new crush good to know yeah Yeah, it's, it's a, f- a fantastic soundtrack. So we mentioned before that that a lot of those bands are signed, I think, to a label called Italians Do It Better, which is a great one to check out if you're a fan of, of all that kind of music. Um, and you talked before about how it reminded you, where, where were you when this film came out?
1: So I was in living in London at the moment, and I was in South London. Um, and it absolutely reminds me of living in... Um, that house with my lovely, lovely housemates who also absolutely adored the Drive soundtrack Um, and it was definitely uh, in the backdrop of many, many a South London house party um, when I was there. And I know it's London's kind of a strange uh, memory for the film, which is not set anywhere near London (laughs) to evoke, but that's certainly when I saw it and it's, it's funny how... Um, The music can take you back to such a specific place in time and I think that's the beauty of listening to the Drive soundtrack. Anyone that grew up in the 80s listens to that music and even though it's new music, the style of it's so beautifully set in the 80s that it immediately transports you back and gives you those feelings of Mm. nostalgia, um, gives you that feeling and and you remember exactly, you know, for me it's like... um, Uh, being upside down on monkey bars or whatever it was that you were doing in the 80s (laughs) so listening to music um that sounded like that so
0: yeah it's it's a very it's it's an interesting one I I remember as well it's very evocative of of a time one of the few times actually that I have lived in London myself I've lived all around the UK but Mm -hmm. at that time when that film came out I was living in London I vividly remember the uh the posters on the london underground and thinking man that film looks so cool already i had a uh, a, a burgeoning embryonic uh you know man crush on ryan gosling because you know who wouldn't oh, i love uh, ryan yeah yeah <laughs> God. Who, i mean who doesn't i who mean doesn't?
1: did you want um, the scorpion jacket as well
0: I'm not sure I could rock the scorpion jacket, really. Um, you know, it's... it's. But, yeah, he was effortlessly cool in that movie, definitely. And it, 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 very, another interesting point for our third uh, <laughs> third take is that the that film is a remake of a film called Shane, uh, an old western, ah. um, about a guy that kind of rides into town, uh, falls in love with a woman and wants to look after her and her child, but, like, she's married to this kind of... Uh, this guy that can't really protect them and you know it's 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 a a, 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 a very interesting lifting of that narrative and putting in a different kind of context it's a really yeah there's there's lots going on with that movie but i'd have to save that for for when someone picks it for their main selection okay. i will say this finally though it's another one it's another one about someone riding in and trying to protect people that can't protect themselves so we've got we've got a few of these going on now already
1: that's really interesting <laughs> we hadn't picked up on that the last time last couple of times but you're right it's absolutely true ryan does play that play that role i think yeah interesting
0: interesting he's he's like he's like indiana jones except he's like a little bit cooler about you know gender and and the other
1: (laughs) (laughs) definitely a darker version a darker more violent version of indiana jones um but speaking of which oh my gosh and this will be new for this take we're talking about harrison ford and ryan gosling two of the most beautiful men alive and as a result Mm. Uh, you know are, are you thinking of the other films Blame, that they're oh my god movie. oh my god so amazing so amazing anyway that that's what it yeah. made me think yeah.
0: of <laughs> Have you seen? Okay, so we are we, we are now having to find new ways to make it interesting for ourselves <laughs> now. <laughs> so so you're going to have to come with us, people who's listening. We're just going to witter and digress. Um, but have you seen the promotional interviews for Blade Runner 2049, where ha- Harrison and Ryan are just like chatting away like old friends, like playing little jokes on each other, and it's just it's just beautiful. I love it a bit.
1: I I think I've rewatched them. Maybe 20 times actually, so yeah, absolutely. Um, so Harrison was always, if anyone asks me who is your biggest crush, it was always Harry, yesterday, today, forever. Um, but Ryan just brings and exudes a different level of cool. I know other people are crazy about Brad Pitt or whatever, but for me, it's always Harry and Ryan.
0: There you go. Okay, so a full a full window on. So do you, you think of Harry and Ryan when you hear Kavinsky as well? Of course. Oh,
1: I mean, you know, the the, the original Kavinsky crush was always Ryan, but uh, but no, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, <laughs> we'll always think of them. We'll come. We'll have to do another one of these about Blade Runner another time, I think.
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. I, I, what? Well, no, I'll skip it. I'll tell you. Let's let's move on. Uh, so I have asked forced myself. Come on, let's go, let's go. Uh, I have asked you, like I've asked everyone else, to select a film um, for each of the following categories: uh, physical, uh, emotional, and intellectual. Because you're you, you've chosen two for most of them. Um, so, so let's just. Fire flame on and, and, and start with the physical choices. Let's take it one at a time. Which one do you want to talk about first?
1: Um, let's talk about Constant Gardner first. Um, so I have Hurt Locker as well, but we'll shelve that for the moment. And the reason that I picked, actually, the reason that I picked both um, for physical was very much, again, that set up around um, what my work has been. So for about the better part of 13, 14 years of my life. I've travelled to uh, different places and made home in very, very different places around the world. Um, And both Constant Gardener and Hurt Locker Viscerally put me back in those places um, when watching them. Um, at, at different points in, in my journey, I think I watched them. So with Constant Gardener, which is why I'll start with that, I watched it 13, 14 years ago when I was actually in Suva, um, bit of a Tess, <laughs> bit of a Tessa, um, and still am, uh, and was actually dating a diplomat who was very, very much more the Ralph Fiennes character. So very measured, very thoughtful, far more calm, Um, still had heart in the right place, but very, very different personalities. Um, So watching that film was really interesting because it was actually probably at the start of my career um, that I've since then had. And uh, now reflecting on it, I mean, I'm still alive, which is great. Um, but there were certainly moments in time, and I'm, ru- I'm ruining *Constant Gardener*. Not really. It's, we know, we know that um, she's passed away right at the start of the film.
0: Right. Yeah. 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 That happens in the first five minutes. Yes. Literally.
1: So, uh, so actually, my when I was watching it, my ex partner. Um, was absolutely convinced that I was never allowed to travel to two places actually it's not just him other partners since then have said the same thing (laughs) I was never allowed to go to (laughs) Afghanistan or South Sudan because I'd never come back and obviously I'd be killed I wouldn't survive those places I'd somehow managed to get myself killed so they were they were convinced of that as at least two partners that have been convinced of that and have forbidden me from going to those to those contexts but both um, Constant Gardener and the Hurt Locker, because I've spent so much time in certain countries in um, both Africa, Sierra Leone, um, Nigeria, Ghana, and uh, in the Middle East. I absolutely lived for quite some time in Palestine. Um, those, it, it's, Not so much necessarily the specific places or countries that they represent, but the landscape. So, hence the physical, the desert, the red dirt, uh, the way that that can make you take you back and make you feel at home in a place, Um, and those beautiful cinematography, um, beautiful cinematography in both films. But particularly, let's talk about *The Constant Gardener* of those red desert sweeping landscapes and those um, and those inland lakes um absolutely mm, take me back yeah. there and um uh, i can't explain it to you exactly but still when i think of those places it's like my heart skips a little beat and i feel like i'm there like it feels so familiar like and so that's the beauty of movies versus books in a way because um you see it immediately and you're transported there immediately so yeah, absolutely. That's why Garden Gardner, physical.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a great choice, man. And and typical Sutapa, uh, she won't be told. I, I tried this time because you, but every other time you've talked about both films at once and it kind of muddles it. So this time I explicitly said, let's talk about one and you still <laughs> talked about both of them. So, you know, I can maybe see where some of those, those boyfriends are coming from. <laughs> However... <laughs> I kid, of course. Uh, but yeah, let's focus on, on uh, let's refocus on Constant Gardener. I, I love that choice. And I love what a reflection of your character, how you see yourself reflected in the Tessa character, as you mentioned, she's the, she is to uh, fill people in a little bit more. She is the very fiery, uh, passionate protector again right let's get that out there fairly early on protector of people who she sees as being um, victims of situations they didn't create and and f- f- victims of something they're, they're not responsible for which i think we can we can tie in right to, to mm-hmm. the films we talked about already and some some other films so that's something that you feel really keenly passionate about what what I loved on the rewatching of the movie, uh, I've been able to watch all of your choices in the last week, which is wonderful. I
1: love that.
0: Um, is the is the 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 transformation of the Ralph Fiennes character, who, like you say, he is more measured, more practically minded. There is an indication, one line uh, from Bill Nye, his boss um sir peregrine i think his name is mm-hmm. one line in it said where he seems to suggest that like his father was a uh, worked for the foreign office as well It's like you come from a long line of you know people that are just good at being just doing their job and not asking questions it's a real throwaway line mm-hmm. so i like this idea that he's broken with that kind of that character and he's had to become like tessa throughout the film he becomes tessa and it's not quite as simple as a movement from masculine to feminine I don't think but it's it's a really interesting journey it's a beautiful profound journey and it's marked by two particular scenes that I really loved noticing at the beginning and end of the narrative one early on where Tessa wants to stop and help uh, a young mother who's just given birth in the same hospital she was in Mm -hmm. and Ralph finds uh, Justin says no we can't there's too many Uh, We can't help them all, so we shouldn't help one. And then at the end, uh, in South Sudan, when he's jumping on a plane uh, with Pete Postlethwaite, he wants to do the same thing. He wants to bring this young girl on the plane. The pilot says no. He offers him all the money he has. The pilot says, Don't embarrass yourself. Don't embarrass me. I don't want the money. I just, there's too many to help, so I can't help one. And I love that movement, that narrative arc. I think it's one of the most beautiful things about the film.
1: it's gorgeous and it's such it's such a tie back in to him after Tessa's death uh really understanding a little bit more where she's coming from I think at the heart and soul of it um they both did have the same values they just expressed them in a different way and then potentially misunderstood each other sometimes along the way while she was alive um because of communication and what's shared and what's not shared um but at the end of it, it's, it's almost like um, he, ta- he revisits everything that was important to her and, and understands her in death in a way that I don't think he necessarily fully got her in life, which is beautiful and tragic. But also just um, it's, it's gorgeous that um, it's such a political Uh, movie but at the heart of it is this beautiful love story actually which is a beautiful Mm. mode and a beautiful way to share and buy people in into these really difficult concepts and political um issues in that region um through emotion which is exactly how tessa expresses herself in the first place so it's really nice i think yeah
0: right and uh, I mean, you've hit on some really interesting points for me there as well. I, I love that it's, it's a realistic representation of, a, rep, of a, a relationship. There are misunderstandings and hesitations and anxieties that go along with the desires that they have for each other. Um, I, I like, I like that the, a lot of the motivation for him trying to find out what happened to Tess is kind of jealousy. He kind of thinks that she might have been having an affair with, um, with the doctor. Yeah. Um, uh, which but that you know I'll, I'll, I won't ruin anything there you got to watch the film to find out about that one um, but uh, I also love how 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 love here is being used to not to depoliticize the situation but to energi- energize it politically and to motivate politicization so you know um, in a lot of films you have ideological conflict and contradictions being resolved by two people getting together Mm. you know sort of how like did people used to like heads of country used to marry off their daughters to each other so they wouldn't (laughs) fight anymore Yeah. and and, uh and uh you know it it happens a lot it happens all the time most especially with with something like class you know Mm. something like pretty woman and oh and, and here's another little Thing, uh, that I've just thought of, Drive. The director Nicholas Winding Refn mm-hmm. actually said that Drive was his Pretty Woman movie. It's it's a ah. it's a, a, a really oh, how did he describe it? Now I've forgotten how he described it. Something that's kind of something kind of beautiful that comes from something dark or something oh, something like that. So oh my gosh, it's gone.
1: Beauty and darkness, yeah. something like yeah. that. I'm sure. I'm sure. Ah, oh, it'll come back to you. It'll come back to you, then.
0: I hope so, yeah, yeah. But but those, those are some, just some of the reasons why I love um, The Constant Gardener. Yeah. The performances are fantastic. The subject matter is really great. I'm going to read uh, a review that I found mm-hmm. um, in the Journal of Public Health Policy, which is not somewhere I normally go for my film reviews, um, but I thought you would appreciate it. So this is the review that that journal gave for this movie. We applaud Mr. Le Carré and the filmmakers for with this one production that will be seen by millions of people around the world, that they will have done more to present the pharmaceutical industry's obstacles to improving health in developing countries than we at the Journal of Public Health Policy can with 100 articles, or that all health and science journals can in a year. Please view the film. Absolutely what a sentiment.
1: Ah, oh, I love I love that you pulled that up, Ben. And because again it comes back to um, that the reason that I love films and the reason that films and storytelling can so easily hopefully convince and convey uh, different arguments and different perspectives. And hopefully even if someone will never travel to that part of the world, um Watching that film will probably do more to emotionally resonate and connect them to all of those issues and place them there than reading um, the Journal of Public Health, Uh, unfortunately. um, Coming from a public health background myself, obviously, I do read that journal a bit more. But, but yes, not everyone will. And so that's why it's so beautiful that they've emphasised that and that's why I love films. Absolutely. Love that, Ben. Thanks for reading that out.
0: No worries, no worries, and that's an that's an interesting point to sort of uh, to to just address and then move on. That that I think, that sometimes films can be a bit unbalanced. There can be films that are really emotional, but without seeming to have a point, and there can be films that can be overly intellectual. Um, but when you really beautifully seamlessly mix those things together, you have something that's profound, moves you on a profound emotional uh, plane, but also makes you think about the world or reality or society or whatever it is you want to call it which uh, I, I, yeah I think for me those are the the best films absolutely. as well
1: absolutely and I was just reflecting as you were talking about that about that move from storytelling to reality and um looking back on Tessa and this is going back to the first conversation we ever had about Constant Gardener which is I then wonder obviously Tessa takes me back to a to 13 14 years ago a time when I mean, I'm still fairly feisty and can get fairly angry, but um, a time when I was much feistier and even angrier. <laughs> um, um, and certainly, uh, and and wondering if she'd lived, where would Tess be been now? Would she have? Uh, um, would she have become a mother? Would she have had children? I think she she would have wanted to and tried to. I think the movie definitely hints towards that. Um, uh, given, uh, I mean, I won't spoil the film <laughs> too much because mm, that, is, that yeah, is a bigger no. part of it. Um, but I do wonder, I wonder if, um, like for me, um, as someone that was very idealistic and would only work in NGOs for the first um, really quite a few years of my life to then to some extent um, sell out and be working at the UN uh, for the last six or seven years, Um an institution that um, I definitely riled against <laughs> for the first however <laughs> many years of my life, um, but joined joined it to reform it in that capacity. I do wonder where Tessa would have ended up. So yeah.
0: <laughs> so yeah, another another very uh, lots of similarities, lots of parallels, um, and yeah, I mean it, it's very, it's very it's fascinating to to look at. Yeah. To look at films in this way, and to talk to someone who has had such a connection to the, to these subject matters, you know, I we're, we're talking about right at the beginning of the podcast how wonderful it is that film can open your eyes out and educate you and give you empathy for things that you've never experienced before. But man, what a powerful medium it is to resonate your own experiences as yeah, well. Absolutely, and that's what I'm what I'm getting from you with some of these choices. <laughs> Uh, so v- very briefly now, the the Hurt Locker. I think we'll prioritise one of your two selections here okay. uh, before we move uh, for for the ones where you've you've picked a couple. Um, uh, Hurt Locker. I, I loved again. I watched it again um, for the first time since it came out, um, and it's a brutal, a brutal, amazing film. Well, well deserving of of the the Oscar. Um, a brilliant sort of revisionist war movie. So it sort of takes that Alfred Hitchcock thing where his definition of suspense is like, if you just have, if you don't tell the audience about a bomb and it goes off, then you have a few seconds of excitement. But if you tell the audience about the bomb, It's under the desk at, I think he even says, at a UN meeting. Uh, Then you've (laughs) got 20 minutes of suspense. And this is a film that really takes that to the nth level because we're in uh, Iraq. We are with a bomb disposal unit. And uh, Sergeant James, played by Jeremy Renner, uh, is the the lead character. Now, tell us why you picked this film. So,
1: uh, I mean, I I guess there's obvious reasons around um, spending so much time in the Middle East myself um, and just those, those houses, the dust, the places that you see and that people live in—that was my life. I lived in such very similar streets and uh, and everything. So there's that. But actually, the real reason I, the the deeper reason I think I picked this film is was at a different point in my life. Um, that I connected to it than the constant gardener. Um, it would have been after doing a fair bit of work um, in the humanitarian space. There's the obvious reasons, like absolutely, I've been um, bedded down in a bunker waiting for a bomb to go off three, three, you know, blocks down or three houses down, and it has, you know, um, so there, that wow. stuff, absolutely, um, obvious things. Uh-huh. But it, but actually, to me. The reason it resonated, and I actually really wanted my family and friends back home to watch it because the thing I hoped that it would convey to them is the question that people always asked me around that time, which is why do you keep going back? And this is ruining the movie a little bit, but it explains why I resonate so well with the film in that after everything that happens to this central character, um, at the end of it, it's not the end for him. Uh, he he has to go back. It is his life. Um, this is the life that he's chosen. It's his his home is what he does, and it becomes um, this need to continue to do that, even though. Um, to everyone else it's like oh thank goodness he got through that he's still alive he made it out you know a sigh of relief and end scene but it's not um mm. he needs to go back because that's reality for him and um it's that journey in terms of um being someone that moves to different places and to different countries and becomes at home somewhat with the journey even more than a specific place necessarily, um, and to that life and that lifestyle. And I'm sure someone who's also travelled and migrated, Ben, despite the the bomb part, perhaps you can relate with the rest of it. So, it's that it's that experience in the hurt locker. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's a there's a it's a fascinating kind of. Uh, explanation of why you like it and what you think it's about um just uh, for, for me just to be clear I, I am really really not well traveled I mean I'm fairly well traveled but I never lived outside the UK until I moved to Fiji I don't know if you knew that about me um so uh it's you know been a lot I'm of European more, <laughs> Yeah, oh, I've travelled to Europe and around the world on, like, holidays and extended holidays, maybe three, four weeks at a time mm-hmm. at a push, but, but, yeah, I'm more of a kind of a armchair globetrotter. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, I love what you're saying about, about like, him being... The, the conflict, which is normally the middle part of a movie, right? Mm-hmm. You have, like, the beginning, the conflict, and then the resolution. But the conflict for him is his life isn't it and whether that's a commentary on maybe the kind of personality he is or maybe it's a commentary on uh, people who have been in these situations in war situations or high anxiety high pressure situations all of those are fascinating readings um but i but i think uh, you know i, I I'm, I'm i'm remembering now that so much of the, the the soundtrack which is not there isn't really a soundtrack non-diegetically outside the world of the film the only soundtrack the only music we hear is the music he listens to which is like ministry like thrash hardcore metal Mm. which is just again putting him in a maelstrom right Mm. just uh putting him in a kind of crazed space and that's where he wants to be that's where he thrives and i think an additional layer onto that again is that he's another protector he's another person that feels compelled to put his own life at risk in order to protect the people uh in in iraq in this situation yeah. and if, that comes out incredibly explicitly with his relationship with the young boy beckham the dvd selling boy yeah. um i had never
1: actually again, realized until you started pointing all of this out that that must be why i think in these films well
0: i think it 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 is it is interesting and I think it's something that I think that we are unconsciously drawn towards mm. certain things, right? Um and, and through through most Yeah, yeah, things that resonate, but we don't consciously recognise that. And and I think it's been a pattern that's emerged as I've talked to people. You know, it helps to it helps that I'm talking to my friends and I kind of know them and then I can sort of go, Oh, well this reminds me of this aspect of your personality. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll go on, we'll move on and we'll see if we can pop any more pieces in this jigsaw <laughs> puzzle. Um, next, I think we'll go for your emotional choice because for that one, you just picked one. <laughs> so why don't you take us through that selection?
1: Thanks, Ben. That was a, actually another easy choice for me. So it's life is beautiful and life is beautiful was actually not just my emotional choice, but for many years, I would have said, um, quite easily referred to it as my f- absolute favourite film so I really really loved that movie and uh, I, I I know that for, for many many people and for many many um, different reasons it's not a favourite film and it's it's um, there's been a lot of criticism uh, towards it because it takes a subject that is quite dark um, and it addresses it in a light way but for me that is why the movie is so beautiful. It takes something that is normally very, very difficult to watch, to engage with, um, to address, and it makes it palatable in the same way that uh, when you read um, Diary of Anne Frank, people say part of what resonates, resonates with them is um, uh, the story of a girl and the ability to be able to relate to that in a similar way I think life is beautiful deals with the holocaust in a way that is that adds I mean it's still a dark dark time but it adds this beauty and this lightness and this joy to what is a difficult space and then actually brings people in that position to life so that again you can have that storytelling and that empathy and that connection, even if it's not the most authentic retelling of that time, if that makes sense. And what did you mm. think when you watched it? I'm sorry I am throwing back to you a little bit.
0: <laughs> no worries. Well this is this is the first this is the first the, the film that you selected that I'd never seen. I'd heard of it and I'd wanted to watch it for a long time, but for some reason I hadn't. So, so you motivated me to watch it by selecting it as your emotional choice. And yeah, I really, really liked it. Um, I had some concerns about it just from what I'd heard, but it was a very different movie to what I was expecting. It spent far longer in the build-up. Um, to so it's it's a film about um uh, concentration camps in in the nazi occupation of course um and what one of my main complaints about films uh, is often that the, there's not enough character development for me to really care about what happens to mm-hmm. them you know that that's that's often what makes a film weak or, or doesn't have quite that connection so this was uh, i had an incredibly profound connection with uh Roberto Benini's character and and uh, uh, and his family, and that made the second half all the more moving for me. And I like, like you mentioned, uh, uh, some people didn't like it and saw it as a lightweight treatment of a very serious subject. But I like his kind of philosophy, as as I understand it, which is one of sort of clowning, which which explores the which which suggests that there is a, a similarity between. Uh, intense comedy and intense tragedy that they're sort of flip sides of the same uh emotional space in a way mm-hmm. and you can explore them together if you balance it correctly and I think he really really did balance it and I enjoyed it a great deal so thank you for the recommendation
1: well, my absolute pleasure and uh, yeah, it's for very similar reasons that I I really do love that film and and actually con- just to be a bit more controversial we'll say that uh prefer it and its treatment um of a very dark of that very dark subject matter than, for example a movie like Schindler's List which is um by all accounts one thing and um was was certainly um you know is often the pinnacle and the go-to uh film uh for people during that period of time that I I felt that exactly what you're saying you you said you felt that connection um, to his character, to his family. You were invested. It had the development. Whereas um, to me, Shin was List and the characters often felt a bit flat. Um, whereas, you know, going through it with, with the family, with all of the journey that they've had, with his connection to his son um, and his, you know, desire to protect his son Um, from the horrors by trying to create um, an imaginary world that makes it all a little bit more palatable um, I think is something that anyone uh, can connect with definitely parents but even those that aren't parents can absolutely see and connect with wanting to do that I think for someone that's more innocent yeah. Right so
0: and you're it's Interesting that you're now echoing these words about protection <laughs> and innocence.
1: This is what happened. I, I could
0: just sort of fade into the background here and you're like,
1: <laughs> now I see it, now um, I see it, Ben. I, I,
0: I tell you what is really interesting, you're, you're, you're that you throw it out there uh, and compared it to Schindler's List, which that's a really interesting comparison, especially considering we're, we've already looked at a very interesting what i would describe as a very interestingly subversive war movie as mm-hmm. opposed to something like uh, saving private ryan by spielberg again uh his representation have you have you seen that film saving uh, private ryan so yeah yes
1: yes i have yeah
0: so what 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 do you think is the difference there because i i mean i've got some fairly strong opinions about spielberg um <laughs> But, but why do you think that the, his treatments of war and uh, concentration camps weren't for you uh, and these other treatments were?
1: It's interesting. I, I'm just thinking of this off the fly, to be honest. But I think the more I think about it's it, it. It's another new bit. It's another new bit. The The more I think of it, I don't know that I'm a massive... Spielberg fan, not everything. There are some movies that I like, but now thinking more and more on it, I don't think I am. And I, I think he tells, it's the way you tell stories. And I think he tells stories in a way to me that I guess uh, it, for him it must be that this is the way that I can engage in this storytelling. This is the traditional way that I would tell this story. Um, but he's engaging in a subject matter of of telling a story in a way that sometimes maybe isn't as authentic in the in the style of storytelling um, that actually comes from that space, perhaps I don't know. So if you think of life as beautiful mm. and using um, using that clowning and using that personality, it it's obviously not a real character that existed that you know, but it feels authentic because actually, to the personality of the character, that style of film and that style of storytelling makes a great deal of sense. Whereas, you know, um, I don't, I don't know um, what the 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 more authentic way of telling the story of Schindler's List would have been. But I I mm. don't know that the way that uh, Spielberg told it resonated with me at least. Anyway, uh, it it felt right. like. Uh, treatment of a subject matter in in a very Spielberg fashion. That's not necessarily that's not necessarily um, where that story really came from. And I think sometimes the way that you tell stories um, and where they come from really matter too. Yeah.
0: Yeah it's a very interesting response man thanks I, I, I it kind of reminds me as well of something that I'm remembering now I read Roberto Bernini said about he didn't want to create an accurate representation because he thought trying to recreate it would be kind of disrespectful to survivors and to uh, what he wanted to do was give a sort of artistic approximation and, and filter it through certain other perspectives like you say a fictional character um, a father son relationship so in a way there's a kind of authenticity to that and a respectfulness to that that you don't get when you try and very efficiently recreate war or concentration cats which is what i think was was one of the things at the forefront of spielberg's mind when he made those films
1: I, I think i think you're absolutely right i think there's a beauty in uh retelling things with that level of authenticity that is the style as well Uh, And I think we see it more and more in the way people explore new ways of storytelling in film, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, I'm sure. Um, But I I do love that that comes through, and I love that you enjoyed that in Life is Beautiful. I love that it's not an authentic retelling um, in that way. I think it's more authentic in some ways as a result um, of, of not necessarily being factually accurate, but I think in some ways it's more emotionally accurate. So yeah that's my take on it anyway
0: yeah yeah it's it's a fine balance isn't it you know often often I, I, I remember times in the past where I've been slightly found myself lamenting a film for taking extreme historical poetic license with events and going oh I'd frustrate that I find that frustrating on one level as well but here I am on the other level saying well too much accuracy <laughs> is not good either I'm a very difficult man to please Um <laughs> that's uh that's that's another great uh another great movie um let's move it on now finally to the intellectual phase though um you've picked two great movies again let's try and talk about them one at a time (laughs) (laughs) which one do you want to go for first
1: Uh, i think let's talk about the matrix was this okay. one of them? Am, am, I, am I right in my selections? It's been a little you, while you since I right. wrote them down. You are
0: right. And, and we're working in chronological order. So The Matrix 1999 needs no introduction. Yeah. Let's just, let's go for it. So, what do you love about this movie?
1: So I think The Matrix is actually a perfect film in, in all the senses of it being a perfect intellectual film. It was, uh, it was the first of its kind I think when when it was created there weren't movies like like since then we've seen a lot of films that use those kind of ideas and concepts definitely um, more so but at the time it was so groundbreaking it made us question um, the fabric of our absolute existence in and of itself um, the way that the film ended and came it was just a complete perfect beautiful film and I do not, I don't like, again, co- potentially controversial choice. I do not like the other films. I do not, I pretend, I, it's like Control-Alt-Delete. They do not exist for me. <laughs> I don't enjoy them. <laughs> I, I feel I like they the ruined, I feel like they ruined the original film if if I take them into account, so I don't. Um, the ending of The Matrix was also perfect. It was perfectly done. Nothing else needed to be done. Um, but i love I love the fact that it makes us question our reality and our choices and everything. Um, it makes us consider what choices we want um, whether we want to take harder paths or easier paths in life there's a lot of philosophy and thoughtfulness and values um, that that's kind of woven into it, and then of course it's fantastic because it's you know sci-fi and um, fantasy, fi- fantasy fiction and just all of those great world creations uh, as well in it. And I-, I wouldn't say it's an emotional choice <laughs> necessarily if we're looking at Neo <laughs> and the character that um, that is Keanu, <laughs> as, you- as you said before, that I can only agree with Ben. But, uh, but absolutely, it's, uh, I absolutely enjoyed the film. For me, there were moments that it did... Um, take away from reality a little bit, and and um, I was jolted a bit because of all of the Australian actors, and the and the fact that it was shot in Sydney. Um, so there was the follow the rabbit moment where um, the the actor that uh, that plays the actress that plays um, that character that has the rabbit tattoo is actually from Home and Away. So there was a the moment of breaking from. Uh, you know the world of the film, and <laughs> you're sort of taken back yeah. a little bit. But I, I kind of really love that even as well because I think I've described that to friends as well. It's like another glitch in the matrix, you know. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> Very meta. yes <laughs> <laughs> No, it's it's a great movie, and and um, I, I would like to first of all quickly correct myself for uh, suggesting that the Wachowski brothers now sisters were australian they are of course american i said that in the last podcast with peter Sipelli when we talked about sci-fi uh, um but yeah but the, the thing is that they shot a lot of it in australia and that's why there's a lot of australian actors in it and yeah i just i i don't i you know i like to correct myself <laughs> um so that that's an important point but yeah I love I love everything you said about it man it's very it's a very intellectually interesting film mm-hmm. it's very ahead of its time in, in in so many ways technologically and its use of effects were breathtaking i thought but even the way that it seemed to be even though it wasn't an adaptation from uh comic books or mm-hmm. cyberpunk had a real cyberpunk comic book aesthetic and that really wouldn't come until a few years later into cinema at adaptations like ghost in the uh, ghost in the shell mm-hmm. and of course all the huge explosion of comic book films that we've we've looked at i think that that that, that it was at the forefront of that um I love Keanu. We can't we can't really discuss The Matrix without discussing how amazing he is. I have a theory on Keanu films and that is basically that if he plays a character that's kind of confused <laughs> about what's happening to him then he Acts really kind of well. If they, if you try and push him too far out of that very niche role, you get some slightly more dubious performances. It's not a hard and fast rule, um, but but you know if you, he's great in Bill and Ted's Adventure <laughs> and Bogus Journey. He's great in The Matrix. He's great in movies where he's where he's kind of baffled. Yeah. yeah. Um
1: He does do baffled well.
0: Yeah, he does. Like whoa. Whoa, that's his kind of thing, isn't it? <laughs> um but yeah, I mean it's it's and for me, like you say, it's the perfect the perfect structure to that first film. It it, it mimics the, the Judeo Christian saviour, death, resurrection mm-hmm. thing right at the end there. Sorry, no spoilers, but everyone should have seen The Matrix by now. Um uh, and and then yeah, that's it. It's the, the the closing moments. He gives a beautiful speech and then I don't know if you remember, but the final credits are by Rage Against the Machine, which is perfect for a film where he's been fighting machines all the way through. <laughs> uh, what more could you want? Why did they Why did they have to spoil it? Why? Why is it happening?
1: I don't know, Ben. I, I love that we agree on this one. I didn't know how you'd feel about it, actually, when I first mentioned it and um, when we started talking about The Matrix because so many people I've spoken to absolutely... Um, you know, admonish me for disliking what came afterwards. I guess they 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 are more is more rather than quality people. But I'm so glad that we agree, and <laughs> we are quality people. So makes me very happy
0: definitely agree with that one and 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 I've this is a film that I've seen uh, uh, probably around a hundred times um might be the film I've seen more than any other simply because for for many for uh, you know about 15 years I put it on a module that I that I would often teach three times a year sometimes to multiple classes so there are there must have and I would never I would relish the opportunity to pop it on in a in a classroom where there's a you know at this point it was like I had my own free little mini cinema a projector and a little sound <laughs> system. <laughs> and I'd watch it with these students and they'd love it and I'd love it every single time but so yeah it it just never it, it never really gets dull for me it's perfect in many many ways and it's fascinatingly intellectual if you allow it to be i remember once a student wrote an essay for me about it he was vietnamese about uh it was a buddhist reading of it so there's very overt judeo-christian kind of ideas in there but he opened my eyes up to a wonderful reading about how it's it can be seen to be all about buddhism as well That sort of veil of illusion. So
1: interesting because you know you know that Keanu also did the little Buddha.
0: He did, yeah. but I don't think I've seen.
1: He was slightly confused in that, so it actually worked okay. I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, whoa, Buddhism! (laughs) Ah, fantastic stuff. Yeah okay and another great movie uh let's let's move on now let's wrap up this section with your 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 second um, uh intellectual choice which i also love what is it
1: my second intellectual choice was memento um and absolutely people could potentially think that the reason that i love memento so much um is to do with uh the fact that um i do like men with tattoos (laughs) Uh, but um, that's not that's not the real reason even though uh, it's visually beautiful it's this idea of um, again if we're going back to life is beautiful as well and authentic storytelling and different truths and it's it is that idea of memory um, and the fact that memory, like what I will remember from even this conversation, Ben, is going to be completely different to what you take from it and remember from it. Um, there'll be patches of sparks where we completely agree, but we'll, we'll, it will have different readings on it. And I think Memento, in this beautiful way, absolutely explores what, what is memory, um, what is real, um, how do you retell what is real. Um, can the memory that we have? What can we trust about the memory of what, that we have? And obviously, that idea of that everyone's truths are re- a little bit different. Um, and I, I think that's what I love about Memento. But at the heart of it, of course, it's um, a, it is a love story in a way, a, a retrospective love story of someone um, uh, that's that's trying to explore and find that so that so much remembers. Um, who they're trying to save or or find out a mystery of how someone that they love died, um, that they're, they're, they're struggling with that and they're reconnecting and uh, reliving these different little memories and mementos of them that are their truths of that person, I guess, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I I mean, it's, it's it's a, it's a great movie. It's a beautiful, sleek, intelligent subversive thriller mystery like you say it's got it's it's that it's that at heart but the way that it's shot the entire narrative being filmed backwards so you watch the end the end of the film that scene front to end uh and then you get the scene before that front to end and then you get the scene before that so there's it somehow it just works and it works perfectly where the scene finally bring you to the point that you've just understood before so it works back to front it has uh, some amazing ideas about how to uh, represent the, 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 what you're talking about philosophically, about memory and about perception, with his um, Polaroid photographs, with his mm-hmm. tattoos. I love all these little details, you know. Um uh, so yeah, it, it's a fantastic movie, and and, it, and it's it's my favorite Christopher Nolan film. He's done incredible, spectacular things yeah. um, over the years, but for me, Memento will will always be his finest cinematic achievement, and and he achieved it on a fraction of the budget with just some really interesting, innovative storytelling.
1: Absolutely, and it's it's that new, different way of storytelling that I love that he does, that he that he did and. Um, and again, it doesn't need to be super expensive to be really, really good, I guess. I think it's the style of it. Um, and also felt like when I first watched it, it was something different and new. And since then, I've seen movies that have used um, those sort of tactics or those styles. But I think that, again, it was one of those first times that I'd seen it used. And um, I thought it was brilliant in that it opened up your mind to a different way of telling that story um, that, I, that I really, really loved so yeah also you know guy Pierce didn't hurt
0: <laughs> guy Pierce uh, absolutely so uh, you, you mentioned uh, at the beginning of the description here that you do like a man with tattoos uh, let's 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 try and expand that a little bit an emotionally unstable man with tattoos <laughs> <laughs> I ser- uh, I, is that doing anything for you
1: I've certainly gone through one or through two phases where um, I have certainly uh, dated uh men with tattoos uh one quite some time ago who was absolutely covered in tattoos also had stretched ears and a variety of piercings that we won't get into um that was probably more difficult for my poor mother to deal with um but no some good ink (laughs) some good ink on a great body i mean come on you know that's that's always nice. And
0: he looks fantastic in that movie as well, you know. Uh, and he takes his clothes off a lot because he's got to read all those tattoos, of course. So, <laughs> right, exactly. You know, exactly. Wow. Yeah. I liked, yeah, I like that. So we've moved it with Some of your film choices are about, you know, you you love watching people going out and being the protectors there. I <laughs> guess in this position, you really just want to go and look after poor Guy Pierce, right? give him <laughs> Absolutely. a Absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. Give give Guy Pierce a, tr- a cuddle. Troubled male figure, right? <laughs>
0: There's a, there's another interesting little thread running through here because of course, and this isn't something I'm again just just striking me now. Guy Pearce is in the Hurt Locker, as is Ralph Fiennes. Uh, so yeah, we've, we've got some very interesting uh, actors popping up again, again, and again in your choices as well. So there's 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 more than one link.
1: That's so interesting. Yeah, I hadn't realised, and I don't think we realised that necessarily the first two times either. But there you no, go. No,
0: we didn't. We didn't. Okay, we are back for our, to wrap things up. We've discussed uh, film mem- memories. We've discussed film music, and we've we've explored some of your favorite movie choices and we've drawn some very interesting connections between uh, unconsciously why you might have been drawn to these movies um, or very sort of consciously slash sexually drawn to these movies (laughs) as was the case with Memento Uh, (laughs) so let's talk about now uh, we'll we'll wrap things up um, a little bit by talking about some of the films that you wish you could have crowbarred into those categories but but couldn't quite what are some of your other favorite movies and why
1: some of my other favorite movies one of them was 28 days later which is wonderful because i think um this is one that we end up not agreeing on which is you know <laughs> was the first time that it happened <laughs> so, so yeah at-
0: this 28 is problematic, days later. I never liked 28 Days Late.
1: You never liked it, I loved it. I, I, a, I like it because it's British and I think it's fantastic for, um, to have that perspective. A, I love zombie films, so like, first off, love zombie films. Um, but then that, no. that
0: confuses me because this is not a zombie film.
1: That's <laughs> the other think. it. I've, I've been I very politely
0: to- letting you speak up until this <laughs> point, but now and I know you're just a- Crazy.
1: Various people that would claim that it's not a traditional zombie film, um, <laughs> like yourself, Ben. So I, I, I do love zombie films. I like doing the zombie marathon everywhere I go. I start with Twenty Eight Days. I then do I Am Legend, uh, which is also not necessarily a traditional zombie film. God. And then finally, <laughs> I go for Shaun of the Dead. So to wrap, to nicely wrap things up. So.
0: Shaun of the Dead is amazing. I love Shaun of the Dead. It's it's a true zombie film. It's a rom com zombie, which I love. is very interesting kind of new take on the zombie genre, staying true to the uh, (laughs) the, the what what a zombie film should be there's actually a very interesting just a little couple of seconds at the end of um Shaun of the Dead where they're watching the news and it's kind of summarizing everything that's happened and like how crazy was this where they wildly indicate that 28 days later was stupid as they they say scientists have now dismissed (laughs) Scientists have now dismissed that this was a a rage virus or something like that. And it's a real big dig at 28 Days Later. So (laughs) I'm glad that you finished it off with Short of the Dead. Um, I'm sure these are wonderful movies for the fans, both of these films. But I will very quickly summarise... Why I don't, why I didn't like either of them. And I, I know I'm, I may revisit 28 Days Later because I love Danny Boyle. I doubt I'm going to revisit I Am Legend because that one really turned That's me. That's
1: okay. Off. That was definitely a Will Smith choice and, and, and nothing really to do with either gotcha. it being a true zombie film, A, or B, it necessarily being a particularly good film at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let me let me let me just say that um very briefly in three words zombies can't run. That's the big thing. They are supposed to be a slow shambling menace, a creeping menace. Now that works both in terms of the horror of the thing, you know, no matter how fast you run, you're Young, fit, healthy, athletic Will Smith or something. <laughs> and you can run from Mars and Mars and Mars. But whenever you turn around, this creepy, shambling horde is always just behind you. That's the stuff of nightmares, right? Um, but also philosophically, you know, the idea of this... Um, This sort of silent majority this 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 menace that exists in society that is you know it's not overt it's 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 in there somewhere um that kind of gets ruined for me when you start getting these ninja zombies as well i
1: love that (laughs) i I, am legend i am legend yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you it's it's a passion of mine i i am legend for a very different reason i absolutely adore the book by um Oh, by Richard Matheson, is it? I think. Um, I highly, highly recommend that you read that. I would love to hear your opinions of it. Um, Shaun of the Dead, absolutely adore, love it, brilliant. Edgar Wright again, right? And and he directed Baby Driver, which we kind of were going to talk about as well. Yeah. Um, why did you like Baby Driver?
1: Well, again, um, I think I was thinking around Baby Driver when I was also thinking about Drive. Again, the premise of two, you know, getaway car drivers and another central theme of music being very, very important to both films, um, which is why I liked Baby Driver. I definitely prefer Drive and the slightly darker one. Not to say I didn't like Baby Driver though, but for me, while Drive, um, you hear the music and you're instantly transported to the 80s, because of the style of the music um, and the and the way that it resonates with what you think the 80s sound like and you're transported there with baby driver um, the nostalgia is different because uh, while with drive you haven't listened to those those tunes before and the music's new but the style is the same with baby driver the music you you know all of these tunes before and they're using that that play on, Uh, music that you know in a new story in a new context so yeah
0: yeah it's a very uh self-consciously hip cult classic you know filled soundtrack isn't it baby driver and the the really innovative thing that edgar wright does there is how he ties the musicality the beats the melodies uh or the the lyrics sometimes Mm -hmm. in with what is actually physically happening at the time Um, due to some very clever editing, uh, often um, sort of hip-hop montage editing, which he's, I think, borrowed from Darren Aronofsky a little bit. Uh, So I kind of, I like that film. Uh, I love that film, in fact, Baby Driver, but I think it's kind of like a musical, um, which, uh, because of the way that it draws the music into the fabric of the movie, whereas, like you say, in Drive, that music just exists like it's like the movie is a weird bubble and the music is beautifully playing outside that yeah. bubble. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. enhancing <laughs> the mood. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, another great film choice, man. Finally, uh, you wanted to talk about another movie that I used a lot in uh, classes, uh, along with the Matrix. It came out the same year as the Matrix. Yeah. Um, so I've seen it many, many times as well, and it's Fight Club. Oh. I mean, I'm gonna you'd forgotten about that one. I'd hadn't forgotten
1: you? it. I love fight club, yes, absolutely. When Brad was good, yes.
0: Oh when Brad is good he's great. Yeah. Um so yeah, I mean could, yeah, he takes his top off quite a lot. <laughs> no, it, was, it wasn't it wasn't for those reasons.
1: <laughs> actually yeah, come on. What are the actually actual have reasons? a bigger crush on Ed Norton than than Brad, really, um truthfully. Interesting. Uh, interesting, yes, interesting. Um, But, uh, no, another Fight Club, another brilliant film. Um, It was really, for me, it was a difficult one because Fight Club could have absolutely fit into the physical. Um, It could have also fit into the intellectual for me. Um, I loved it for, for both of those reasons as well and I just couldn't find a neat place to put it, I guess. Uh, again, one of those Matrix, Memento, or more Matrix, I guess, in a way, um, style-perfect films for me uh, in terms of the way that it takes you on a journey. There's some twists and turns, um, but um, there's these sort of underlying uh, things that make you question uh, how we perceive society, how we perceive life um, that we know of and the way that that society is constructed, whether we buy into it uh, if we don't, um, and how we can relate to it. But then also from the memento style, what is reality? Um, How can what we remember and how we think of something that we believe occurred, um, did it really occur in that way? And as a result, all of our truths are a little bit different, a little bit dark and twisty, I guess. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah, I I love that, and there there are there are real connections there to Memento that I'm just seeing for the first time. You know that that kind of. Both of these characters are very sort of emotionally vulnerable, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to figure out the world and stumbling their way through it in many ways. And and it's only as the film progresses that we kind of come to understand them a bit better. Mm-hmm. But I love the fact that you're putting it in the intellectual category because what the, what it does really really well, I think, is deconstruct notions of uh, masculinity, of yes. gender uh, that are sort of prescribed by capitalist consumerist mythologies you know i i love that whole aspect of the movie doesn't do great things with race or ethnicity but you know one one step at a time one step at a time um but yeah like i said again one of my all time favorites and it's 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 a real good like rock and roll roller coaster ride of mm-hmm. a film as well really mm-hmm. grabs you by the kind of collar and shakes you up a little bit which i which i also love
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, in my defense of zombie films (laughs) that I think why I like zombie films.
0: (laughs) not going to let it go.
1: um, I I absolutely take your take on zombie films and I love that. And I love that you explained it that way because I think I'll certainly have more respect for people that like slow moving zombie movies in the future. Um, But Mm -hmm. it's that thing, I think the part that we'll probably agree on is that I love that zombie films just take you to that next post-apocalyptic level of How do people behave and react uh, when they're put in a difficult situation when faced with either slow-moving or fast-moving zombies? (laughs) And I think really what I love is is I've come to realise through my discussion with you is I think I like outbreak films. I mean, far different now given that we're living in a global pandemic, but I guess given my time, you know, Working in a and stuff, potentially that idea of um, infection prevention control and the public health part of it is potentially why I like Twenty Eight Days Later in a way that you didn't. Yeah.
0: Ah, definitely. Mm. That that mm. could be that could be an, another interesting connection. Yeah. I'm hoping uh, to speak to a friend of mine, um, a Fijian called uh, Dashika. She is um, the, she is Fiji's foremost premier HIV uh, researcher and mm-hmm. uh, she's been part of the COVID response team she absolutely loves vampire movies loves Shit. loves loves vampire movies so very much into the kind of blood thing so I'm oh really God, looking forward to yeah. what connections <laughs> <laughs> might be on offer there but yeah so that's uh, that's fantastic man I've I've really enjoyed this journey through cinema with you um i would like to ask you one last question before we wrap and that is um considering everything that we've talked about and your love of movies um and your obviously very sort of intelligent and insightful approach to to films um what would you like to see a little bit more of what 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 is film not doing for you at the moment that it could do
1: I think we've had this discussion before as well, Ben, and certainly what I'd love to see more of, and and we're starting to see it already, which is brilliant, um, is to see more diversity in the way that we tell stories. We've absolutely started to see um, diversity in terms of protagonists and characters slowly coming through, um, and it's wonderful to see that. But I, you know, um, now expectant mother that I am would love (laughs) to be able uh, when my child grows up so that they can relate to films in a way that I – I thought I was relating but uh, haven't necessarily and you only realise that extra level and layers of relationship when you finally see a film that you are reflected a little bit more in, I think. So different types of storytelling adds to the richness and vibrancy, I think, of movies and I'd love to definitely see more of that. My example for that was when unexpectedly a friend said hey do you have two hours to spare come with me to see this movie called namesake had zero idea of what the film was about at all um, got in and uh, was not ready for the emotional roller coaster ride of watching a movie that was in Bengali about migrants that had moved um, from the Indian uh, from from India in the Bengali part of India to the states and I And to actually hear Bengali being spoken and not needing to read the subtitles, to to see a migrant story unfold before me um, and to have that emotional resonance with it uh, to when completely unexpected, did not know that that's what the film was about at all, um, really hit in a way. That no movie could have ever hit in that way before, because I don't know if there's any other movies about Bengali migrants moving to, you know, Western countries. Inverted commas, um, and it wasn't Australia; it was in America. But it resonated in this way that I don't think anything could have. And found myself creepishly sobbing throughout it because I could even relate to like the level of detail they had—the suitcases correct. We had each of those suitcases in each of the decades that they showed this story unfolding. So again, I'd love to see more of that. I'd love to see more representation and stories and different styles of storytelling going forward. So um, it's definitely passionate about that. And I think that's reflected in the way that life is beautiful, is different and told from a different perspective. And even uh, Chris Nolan's memento about taking a different take on storytelling. So I'd love to see more
0: more of that. I would say also The Constant Gardener is very, very interesting, the way that it flashes back and forwards and bleeds realities into each other, a very innovative way of telling that story. And I love the way that as the, the, the journey that Justin Quayle goes on throughout that movie... Which we discussed earlier, his sort of, his, a bit, his um, understanding of mm-hmm. his wife mm-hmm. that he never had in life. She keeps creeping into the, the narrative. It's And it's not even done as a sort of flashback. He sort of hallucinates her. Like there's a bit where he gets beaten up in a hotel room in Amsterdam. And in his yeah. semi-conscious state, he sees his pregnant, naked wife in, uh, kind of getting out of the bath the in the bathroom. And yeah. so it's a very interesting collapsing of sort of space and time and memory and so I think there's 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 more even more connections there between your movie choices very innovative narrative structures and storytelling yeah
1: I do love that I'd love to see more of that yeah and I know I know we've had those discussions before as well which is why I love discussing films with you Ben
0: (laughs) Oh, and I love discussing them with you too, man. It's it's been wonderful. It's been uh, we've finally got it recorded. You know, Yay! <laughs> this is it, <laughs> champion. Uh, I'm very excited about that. Um, I think we should uh, not hedge our bets uh, uh, and possibly say goodbye. It's, thank mm-hmm. you very much, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me three times, Sutapa. Um, uh, any last pleasure, words? Ben.
1: Uh, Only last words are I think we should do this little teaser where we just have another 20 minutes into the future where we discuss things like zombie films, um, French movies uh, and apparently uh the more recent uh some of the more recent netflix things that we don't agree on
0: <laughs> perfect you know i think out of the, the first of those would be a definite upcoming podcast because i want to select certain people and explore one genre with them uh so f- for you we will have a, an upcoming podcast in which we just talk about zombie films how does oh that my goodness.
1: sound that sounds like heaven
0: for both of us right and there's going to be a lot of conflict going on there oh, a lot fantastic. of love a lot of get a lot of agreement and a, and a lot of conflict <laughs> it's going to have everything thank you so much sutapa goodbye
1: thanks ben bye
0: but but so uh, yeah yeah there's that, that is interesting um okay shall we shall we wrap again and you can switch the light on (laughs) that'd be
1: great (laughs) i've got this like on but it's a bit weird now
0: (laughs) it's got progressively darker and darker and i can barely see you now okay so shall we we stop the recording in three two one